Uh, it is a great joy for me today to introduce one of my oldest friends, uh, Al Phillips, as our speaker, better known as Gator, uh, to many people. Uh, I first met the Phillips family when I was a child. My mother and Al's mother were sort of friends at Agnes Scott long ago, and when I took piano lessons from Ken and Cobb, he used to always throw up LaVon Phillips to me as somebody who was my mother's age and played the piano better than I did. <laughs> but I've gotten over that, and over the years have gotten to become very close friends with uh, Al and all of his family. We have been deeply blessed uh, to have Al as part of the uh, ministry team at St. Philip's Church on a volunteer basis for a really long time. Al, in addition to his uh, life with his family and uh, all of the extended Phillips clan and his life with Carolina Eastern and fertilizer and farmers and uh, being a corporate whiz with all that and his degrees from Clemson and UNC, is best known around here for having taken what many people that I knew growing up dreaded, which was confirmation class, and turning it into something that has become a standing room only event. Not just because it's entertaining, but because Al shares the deep truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ with these young people. And it is an amazing ministry uh, that he has carried on faithfully for many years. So it is a great joy for me to ask Al to come forward. Please welcome him. First of all, I hate to contradict Brian now that he's really a preacher, but I would, uh, I would not get on that email list. You might, you might find yourself right here the next <laughs> second week of May. Uh, Brian asked me to speak about, let me just read it because I'm nervous for the moment. I know I'll settle in. He says, Brother Al, I hope you're having a great day. I wanted to circle back to you about the next men's lunch to see if speaking then would work for your calendar. Dave, I thought he was wanting me to get Bill Murray, which I would have gladly done. As, as you know, we, we have a variety of men from different walks of life share their walk with Jesus. Ideally, this should be more like a testimony. Skip a little more than a Bible study. The talk is about 25 to 30 minutes. I really want to have speakers who are not preachers because it's more relatable for most guys. And, uh, and I'm glad to do it. I'm going to try to accomplish three things. I'm going to try to talk about what a covenant is. Because that's all we do in the classroom for the nine or so months we're together. Hey, Dave. And talk about the nudges I've received over my life and, and maybe attempt to give you all a nudge about this or that. Uh, and Brian also said in, another, in the email that was public, he said, uh, let's see here. Al has introduced hundreds of seventh graders to the Christian faith and to the world of Anglicanism over the past 20 years. I'm sorry my son Ashton isn't here with me, but we never do anything about Anglicanism I scarcely know what it is. We talk about <laughs> covenant every week. And I've got a $9 bishop's hat here. Brian, if you stand for us. You got me here, man. I'm going to be struck by the lightning. And somebody uh, <laughs> sort of, turn around, turn around. There we go. So this was a costume store. I was hunting something for a birthday party. I got this. What I did not need. And uh, <laughs> usually in the classroom... You'll have 30 or 35 kids, and it's real, real, real obvious. 
who the sort of ass kissers are and who the ones who wish they weren't there. And right on down the line. Oh, no. Oh, yeah. So, early in the year, we say, uh, who wants to be the bishop? And, of course, the certain kids, and later on in the year, it's kind of uncool to be the bishop. But early on, we say, who wants to be the bishop? This is on everybody's table in front of them. Go ahead, Mr. Bishop, man. You read the questions, Brian. And everybody, I believe in God, the Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth. Do you believe in trust in Jesus Christ? I do. I believe in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord. He was conceived by the Holy Spirit and born of the Virgin Mary. He suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. He descended to the dead. On the third day, he rose again. He ascended into heaven and is seated at the right hand of the Father. He will come again to judge the living and the dead. Do you believe in trust in the Holy Spirit? I do. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Thank you, Brian. That's well done, man. You're the chief brown usher. So anyway, that's the way we begin every class. <laughs> there you go. And in the old prayer book, we have a prayer book in waiting, and we have an old prayer book right now. We're sort of in between. It says right here, the baptismal covenant. And so when these kids start class, I say, well, when were you baptized? And of course, nobody remembers. Every now and then, some child will be baptized when they're 12, and they remember, but they all say, I say, that's because you were a baby. You were a baby in arms. You were eating and drinking and pooping. And your parents made this agreement on your behalf. That's a very solemn covenant. And what we're trying to do the next nine months is have you confirm your baptismal covenant. So most people don't know that. That's all you're doing is that's why they call it confirmation. You're confirming what, you, what your parents have said on your behalf. So each week, one lesson is about one line in that covenant, and it goes from uh, about Christmas Day till confirmation, which is three weeks from now. Uh, Enough about that. When I want to tell what a mission and a ministry is, I've enjoyed preparing, by the way, Brian. A mission is, is what you do in the world in, amongst non-believers. This mostly got famous with the, uh, what's that book called? The Purpose Driven Life. And so I've been fortunate that my job has been with kids that are in the world that are non-believing kids and kids that are in the church. So when you work for people inside that are believing people, you call that your ministry. That's why we call them ministers. And when you have a mission, you're working for people that don't believe in Jesus. And of course, probably two-thirds of the kids I have walk in the door are forced by their parents. They don't want to be there. And uh, there's certainly non-believers who get exposed to the faith over a course of a few months. All right. And Brian wanted me to point out that I have a job. I really I have an actual job that's not this. Uh, the nudges, the first nudge I received is down this column, was from uh, Cannon Cobb. We grew up at 94 Church, and of course Cannon Cobb was at 92 Church, where Jeff is now. And uh, Cannon Cobb could not find a second grade Sunday school teacher. And my wife, Kat, was a piano student of his, and he hounded her till she said, yes, 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 I'll do it. And then he hounded me till I would do it. And we met about where that round 
window is over there. This was a classroom with a hall down the middle. <laughs> and, uh, and we taught seventh graders the best we could as 11th graders. It didn't, uh, didn't lead to a romantic time for Kat and I. It was much later in life that we were, uh, became sweethearts and been married a long time. And so that was my first nudge. The second, there you go, was this fellow at Clemson named Dr. Jack Stevenson. And Helen Hill just about made me take a course called Leadership and Group Dynamics. And uh, maybe I was a junior. I had high marks. Hey, Dave. And there was no pressure about what courses to take, so I took it. And the fellow turned out to be a Presbyterian minister from Liberty. And he presented somewhere along the way in class what's called the Socratic Wager. And uh, the wager goes like this. If you believe what these covenants are that I'll walk through really rapidly in just a minute, if you believe that Jesus walked out, of the, walked out of the tomb three days after he was killed, but if you just think there's a one in a thousand chance that all that stuff is true that you've heard all your life, well, one in a thousand times infinity equals what? Steve, you're a quant. What does that equal? Infinity, infinity right? You are. So the, the wager is, if it's just a one in a thousand chance that the faith is real, it's worth all your time and all your energy. I remember as a kid that stuck in my head and I said, and I spent a lot of time with my beloved grandmother up in Easley at that time. And uh, that interaction between him and her really was precious time for me. Hey, Bill. Uh, the next nudge I received was in this room. This fellow named Mike Cook ran our Sunday school program. Well, I meant to do this at the beginning. If I've had your kid or your grandkid for confirmation, please stand up so I get an idea how many of those we have. There's a lot of them. You'll enjoy looking at those pictures over in the corner. Uh, this will be the 20th class we've had. It's probably 40 per class. That's 800 kids, a lot of kids. I'm glad y'all are here, especially though. <laughs> so uh, anyway, Mike said, the way the math works with Sunday school programs, when you have five-year-olds five through eighth graders, roughly, he said, every year, every child you have, you owe me two years of Sunday school teaching. I was like, hell, I do. You know, <laughs> we're just dropping the kids off on Sunday morning. And, and uh, anyway, stayed after me enough, sort of like Brian for this speech, that I was glad to do it and discovered that I really enjoyed doing it. I didn't think that I would. But uh, to have kids, and you see a small epiphany in a second grader. And the first year, I taught with my mother. I taught first graders. And the second year, I taught with Tracy Groudon. Is Steve here? And this real brilliant woman named Margaret Fieldman and her husband, Nathan, and uh, so the people you teach with over the years become kind of part of your makeup. Hey, Bob. And the kids that you have over the years, of course, they change so much, but they become part of your makeup when you know them after a while. It really is something. So, so Katie Bear was about seven, Alton was about five, Ash was about two at this, this moment in history, and it rained real hard one Sunday, and Hayden's Sunday school teacher that was teaching confirmation, quit. Just said. So anyway, it fell to my lap. And since it was raining so hard, we did the Noah's Ark story that day. And then it's just gone on ever since. It's been a, a lot of fun for me. Let's see here. The next thing is to talk about, and I hate having five preachers in the room, so y'all correct me if there's something <laughs> going on here, okay? But when, when God introduced himself to the earth, he makes an agreement. He creates mankind. 
He says, I'm going to make an agreement with you. He first did it with Adam and Eve. Of course, he said, you can have anything you want. Just don't eat the fruit out of the middle of the tree or else you will die. That was their covenant. Of course, they broke it. Then he got around to Captain Noah, and the, fam- the covenant is less famous than the sign of the covenant. Everybody knows what the sign of the covenant is, the rainbow. But he had made a covenant with Noah, which we all broke. And the next covenant came through the Jewish people. Of course, the first one was Abraham. And Father Abraham and, and God made a covenant. And once again, the sign of the covenant was maybe more famous than the covenant. Does anybody know what the sign of the covenant was? This is easy for preachers. Some regular human being. Who said it? Circumcision, right you are. So you can imagine in Sunday school class when you're talking to kids and saying, uh, what was the sign of the covenant? Circumcision. And all the boys start going, ow. And, <laughs> and I just authorized it now. It's cool to say ow when you say circumcision. But that at that moment in history, God was wanting to be sure that he could look at, his, look at the people on the earth and say, these are my people, the Jews. They're circumcised, and this is everybody else. And the same way works for us. You go down through history from Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and the miraculous story where Joseph goes to uh, Egypt this is the kind of baloney that goes on in class. We have a Moses basket that all the girls get to hold Moses and pass around. And, and y'all remember Joseph's dream when Joseph had the dream that his wheat would bow down to the other wheat. Then 40 or 50 years later in Egypt, it in fact happened like that. All right, Brian. And uh, there we go. I think I'd get the gold chain won't fit over your hat. I'm not sure which one of these is worse. (laughs) There it goes. You look good. So, of course, Joseph was famously in Egypt, and all his brothers were back in Israel, right? Yep. And they got down, and why didn't they recognize Joseph? Because he was an Egyptian. He looked like an Egyptian, too. How did he dance? (laughs) That's the. Yeah, yeah. And and then he, uh, how did he talk? Like an Egyptian, right? So when his brothers came and said, you know, you're our, they didn't even recognize him. They didn't know who he was. And was he kind to him? He was. No, he jacked him around. Ultimately, he was. But at first, he jacked him around. You've got to be more specific. He said, you're going to prison. He put one of his brothers in prison and sold the rest of them. Go back home and get me a bunch more money and bring the old man back. Okay, so just a crazy, miraculous story. You can take it off if you want. Thank you. You don't have to. Would you like to And uh, so, hold on, you can leave the gold chain on just a second. Of course, there's always a lot of silly props. The gold chain works really well for the prodigal son who goes to Vegas, as y'all all know, for two or three days yeah. and runs into hard times and has to come back. To, and uh, this is when the ring comes in, Dave. You got a ring? So he has a big ring. He comes back to his father. He's been a sinner, worse than us, maybe as bad as us. There it is. Oh, look at that. And uh, there you go. Wow. And we talk about this a million times in class about how we're all sinners. But how does God feel about them when they're sinners? All right, there it is. Dave, we got any Riverdog games coming up here? So we're home Friday, Saturday, Sunday? Seven, six, and five. Seven, six, and five. I think that's a meaningful ring, isn't it? It's impressive. All right, so I'm just trying to give you all an idea about how silly the cl- Unless you want to wear them. <laughs> it looks good, though. That wasn't recompense for Brian, but he, he does deserve it. Okay, so the, um, 
the covenant that Jesus made, and who, who can say John 3.16 out loud? Richard, I, I used a bad word earlier, brown noser. You can say it, Richard. A little slower and louder. Now, how, how is that a covenant? What's the, what does God do for us? Okay, so God forget. Say it again, Richard. For God so loved the world, He gave His only begotten. That who? So what's our part of the deal? And that's a, and what is God's part of the deal? Everlasting life. So once again, in all these covenants, God says, you do this, and I'll do that. You do this, and I'll do that. And ultimately, the covenant that we live under is called the new covenant. All we have to do is believe in Jesus, and he grants us eternal life. And belief is a little more than thinking that he exists, like I know my mom exists. But I go see her every day, try to make her day better. Not very long, maybe five or ten minutes, but just enough to check the box. But if you, uh, there's a difference in believing your mother exists and believing in your mother. You understand what I'm saying? So when we say that we believe in Jesus, it's more than just believing the historical fact that he lived in Jerusalem, was killed by the authorities, and walked out of the grave three days later. It's, it's more of a commitment than it is just a, believing that something is a fact. All right, enough about that. Oh, oh, and then the thing that I love to tell the kids over and over is a lot like the prodigal son business. What is the verse after that, Brian? Came into the world after John three seventeen. For he came into the world not to condemn the world, but to save the world. So God's not the kind of God you tell the children that is right. Hey, dude, he says you've been very, very bad. That is not the message that God's trying to send us. and certainly not trying to send seventh graders. He's trying to say, I know what you guys are like, and I still love you. Okay, so that's sort of a theme, I reckon, of this class. We're going to run out of stuff here, Brian. That'll be fine. So the covenant we start in our classroom, and it helps the kids to learn, is if they show up at 915 and have their own Bible with them, they get a $2 bill. And it's incredibly exciting to see kids just tear it across the quad. This year we're meeting under the chapel here, what's known as the crypt. And the kids, if they get there at 9.16, they know they don't get it. And then about 10 weeks into class, they start showing up at 9.17, 9.18. And I say, what is it? What is it? Do you deserve the $2? And they say, no, I don't deserve the $2. And I say, what would it be if you got the $2 anyway? And they all know to say, grace. So they get something that they don't deserve. So. The kids all come out of here knowing what a covenant is because of the silly $2 bill business. And they all know what grace is because of the $2 bill business. It's, it's well worth the $2 a week to, to do it. All right, let's see here. Our covenant, John 1. This is one more thing. Preachers all think that we don't use Jesus enough in our vocabulary. and We should say it more often and talk about it. Sam's Mr. Jesus there. Uh, if you think about John... One, the Gospel of John 1, it says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was God, and the Word was with God. And then just a little bit later it says, And the Word became flesh. So when you think about having a relationship with Jesus, really what you're talking about is reading your Bible. 
trying to figure out an excuse or a discipline to stay in, in the Bible all the time. Y'all see the letter I wrote the kids over there for the last, this is a COVID year, so it's September 28th, for the last time the class met, middle of the third paragraph says, find an excuse to read your Bible. Read a proverb every day. There are 31 of them, so that's a wonderful discipline for a child or an adult. There's 31 proverbs. There's 31 days of the month. If you get behind, it's okay, because like today's the seventh of the month, I think. You can read Proverbs 7. It takes maybe 10 minutes. And of course, it's a very convenient place to read it. Uh, read one every day of the month. Read Jesus' most famous sermon, the Sermon on the Mount. It takes about 11 minutes to read. If you're ever blue, if you're ever sad about something, and you read the greatest sermon ever preached, the Sermon on the Mount, it'll really change your, uh, change your bearing. It'll change the way you're looking at things. It's not about self. It's about everybody else, and it's worth doing. If you can't think of anything to read, and probably the best way is to find a Bible study because then you have to do homework that week. You have to be prepared. You have to open your own Bible and, and kind of get it done. All right, and let's see here. This is about 2004. My daughter Katie was my helper. Oh, I want to point these out. That's why I pass these green sheets around. I had so many people help me. You know, when you walk in a room with 30 or 35 kids, this year 70 kids, 65 or 70 kids, you just cannot do it alone. There's no way in the world to settle everybody down and hush them up. Even my new sign doesn't work. Uh, I got it from the Greater Greensboro Open. It was 50 bucks off the guy, but it's been well worth it. Uh, and these are the people that have helped me over the years. Kat has helped me for 21 years fixing up these tests and all this silly stuff. She hates the classroom, but she's helped me for years and years and years. My little sister Sarah must have helped me for 15 years, would you say, Alex? And all this crowd. Right now, George Phillips and Ashton Phillips and Andrew's son, Andrew O'Dell, are helping me, and they're a delightful team. The group that is the, me and the helpers, we become a little society ourselves. And we're talking about the kids behind their back and making sure somebody's going to be there to cover the lesson the next week. And it's, uh, it's, I really have a deep relationship with all these people. I left Mary Porter off y'all's list, but she helped me for two or three years a long time ago. You see, my bosses have been Hayden and Andrew and Lee Moore and Rachel, and now Dorothy is my boss, even though I know Jeff is her boss. That's still, uh, it's been a wonderful part. So we were talking about the story of the uh, Good Samaritan, but uh, the main scene of the book is going from Jerusalem, which is 2,000 feet above sea level, down to Jericho, which is below sea level, 1,000 feet below sea level. If you were in a car, you could put it in neutral and you'd fly down to Jericho, and the robbery takes place. And my nephew Robert said, Uncle Gator, why don't we go? And I said, I don't know why we don't go. I have not given it a first thought in my life to go to Israel. And, uh, but that put the spark in my mind. Katie Bear and Robert and I went, and Alex, Alex's wife, Sarah, my sister, and his oldest son joined us at the last minute. So we had five of us. And I came back, and there's, there's nothing like it. It's, uh, I'm just going to show you one picture. This is my placemat ministry. And so... You're standing here, and there's about a 20% chance this is the site where Jesus walked out of the grave. And Mary walked up to him and said, Rabboni. And it doesn't really matter if that's exactly where it took place, it, it, but it might very well be, and it's a tomb an awful lot like where it took place. There's a big irrigation well there, so Jesus would have been buried where there was a farm. So that's close enough. So you're sitting there reading the Gospels, 
with your daughter and your sister and your nephew and your other nephew, and you're just crying like a baby. It doesn't seem like, but the whole day you're not crying like a baby. You get on the bus, talk about the Clemson season coming up. It's not like it's intimidating from a liturgical basis. You're sitting there praying the whole time or something. Then at night, the grown-ups are having drinks and go to bed and get up at the appointed hour the next day. And it really is a, I've got in my mind, like where the Sea of Galilee is, my niece Louisa left her damn passport at the hotel up in Tiberias. And we were down there where Jesus was baptized. And like, we're going to have to go backwards. And I said, no, I know a tour guide up there that's coming down here today. I'll get it. And about an hour and a half, the passport was there, right? So I got in my head how long it takes to get from where Jesus lived as an adult to down where he was baptized to Jerusalem. All the geography is so easy. It's about a third the size of South Carolina. So I'd commend that to you. That's a nudge for y'all. You see where it has two-way street there, Brian? Mm -hmm. See, nudges go two ways. People are giving me a nudge, and I feel like it's my job to give somebody else a nudge. All right, this is the last index card here of five, y'all. Uh, the sacrifice I've made to do this, none at all. I've, I've really enjoyed every minute of it. I've missed a few ball games. I've hired a few planes to get me from ball games back home. So there's been no sacrifice. Only sacrifice has been Kat. She's uh, given up a lot of her time. I had to apologize for my behavior a lot. And, uh, but I'm known, now when I go to like a dead party or a wedding or most anything, hell, I'm like Miss Whipple. I know everybody in the room. And they'll come up to me and say, hey, Mr. Phillips, hey, Mr. Phillips. And of course, like Brother Blanco's daughters were beautiful children, but they grew up as like distracting adults. And they come up to me and all hugging on me. And I'm like, whoa, ladies. This is a, it changed, I don't know who they are anymore, so it changes a lot. And uh, the most important nudge that I just feel like I ought to say is there's been three kids that have died since I had them for confirmation. Who am getting sad again? Andrew Haler's daughter, if y'all remember that British talking preacher, Andrew Haler, his daughter Hannah was in the class and died in ninth grade. And uh, Adele Cook was in our community. Her middle name was Stoney, so Jane Stoney's daughter. And uh, Shriver Sotelday was in the class and died four or five years later. I don't know what their eternal destination is. I think, it's, I think it's appropriate. And Adele's mom came up to me and asked me that very question. You know, is Adele in heaven? And I'm like, I don't know, but I know this. She heard every word of this creed. She, she had a four or five Bible stories that went along with every line in the creed. And uh, she stood up publicly and said that's what she believed. So I would say, odds on, or that's what she believes. And that's awfully important to us. Thank you all for having me.